this year, the focus is going to be the different aspects of prayer. Um, today we're talking about prayer as worship, um, that it's uh, a, an act of worship. Uh, but we hope that you're going to join us for these 40 days. If you, if you have the uh, church app, if you don't, you can scan the QR code on your bulletin or talk to me and we'll get you uh, onto it. If you're not savvy with a phone, I'll get you signed up with the church app. But uh, that's where a lot of our information comes out of. That's where a lot of uh, announcements come from. And you can f- find access to a lot of the things that we have available. But um, through that, you should have got a notification uh, that let you know uh, you can sign up for the newsletter. They're going to be sending out devotionals. There'll be videos. A video came out this morning about prayers, worship, um, different people in our alliance family will be speaking on each of these subjects. Um, and so it, it, I'm excited because I, I always enjoy a concentrated time of prayer um, and knowing that our whole denomination is getting in on this and we're all joining together for 40 days of prayer is exciting. Some of us will be fasting as well, different times through the 40 days, uh, and I would encourage you to practice this lost discipline as well. If you read your New Testament, you'll see often it says the disciples, the, how did they make decisions? They prayed, they fasted, they laid hands on, and they sent out. And we just don't do that anymore. Be like, well, I don't know if fasting is healthy for you. Um, if you think that way, I can send you a nice article from one of, uh, of some very reputable people that tells you about the benefits, first off, the benefits of fasting. And these aren't even Christians, but uh, the benefits of fasting. But uh, I'm not going to tell you what you have to do. Uh, so don't ask me. Uh, many times people are like, well, what can I do when I'm fasting? It's not about a can or can't, all right? It's about a journey with God. And so for some of you, that's going to mean that you skip a meal. For some of you, it's going to mean that you skip eating chocolate for a while. I don't know. Whatever that looks like for you, don't follow me. Follow Jesus and whatever he directs you in that. But I would strongly encourage every believer to practice the art of fasting. You've, I can pretty much bet you you've never connected with God like you will when you fast, when you practice that discipline of fasting. Uh, if you want to talk about it, I can certainly explain and help you understand uh, what that practice looks like, or uh, at least historically what it has looked like, um, and maybe how to get into fasting. But it is a, a, a great discipline to get into, and I would encourage you to do that. Uh, my hope is, my goal, I want to set expectations for these 40 days. My hope is that we will finish these 40 days of prayer in closer relationship with God than we've ever had. This isn't just an activity. It's not just a promotional thing like, oh, we're going to spend 40 days in prayer and then we don't pray at all. Uh, my hope is that we finish these 40 days, it'll be into February, that we finish with a closer, more intimate relationship with Jesus. My hope and prayer is that some of you will hear the voice of God for the first time in your life. Some of you, I hope that it gets clearer, it gets more pronounced, you're able to discern that voice in a greater way, in a stronger way. My hope is that we all fall in love with prayer, in a, and myself included, in a deeper sense than we ever have. That through these 40 days, we legitimately fall in love with prayer. It's not an a obligation for us any longer. It's not something we try to fit in, you know, in the, in the excess time that we have, or we try to cheat by um, just praying at times. It's, it's most convenient, but that we set aside time, and we, we start to fall in love with this uh, practice of prayer what we'll be doing on Sunday mornings for uh, all of the Sunday morning times through the 40 days of prayer is we're going to be using Jesus' model of prayer to look at the different aspects of prayer 
Um, some of you, if you know me, you know I have about 4,000 pet peeves. Um, and one of my many pet peeves is when we refer to Jesus' model of prayer as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, if you read it, even in English, you don't even have to dive into like the Greek. Jesus isn't praying. He's saying, this is how you should pray. And then he gives us a model of prayer. Uh, it's not the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and it shocks me that we got to a place where we just repeat that as if it is supposed to be repeated when Jesus, I mean, just literally go back a couple verses and Jesus says, don't just repeat things, but pray like this. And so when we begin to repeat it and we think that it's actually going to do something for us when we just repeat the same words over and over and over and over and over again. It was a model of prayer. We weren't supposed to just focus on the model and just say the words of the model, but use it in our prayer life. But before we dive into today's topic, I have a few questions for us. What is our goal in prayer? When you pray, now let's just say, whether it's on your commute to work or hopefully you actually designate specific times to pray. When you go to prayer, what's the goal? We all have one, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you are aware of your goal, but what is your goal? Getting what we ask for, I imagine, if we're being honest, that's for some of us, that's why we go to prayer, uh, especially when we go to God in a desperate prayer, as we want to have, we want to get what we're asking for. There's a desperation in us, and we want the thing that we're praying for. Some of us, our goal in prayer is complaining. We want to vent to God, and so we pray. Some of us, our goal is informing God. Hey, God, just want to check in with you, let you know uh, you're still, the honeydew list is still pretty long. Uh, I'm still waiting for you to, you know, tackle some of these things I've told you about multiple times. If you could get a, you know, go ahead and get, a, get on that stuff, that'd be great. Uh, we, we, we think we need to inform God, like, God, you just got to know this is the situation that's going on down here, and this is what's going on with my family, this is what's going on with my friend, and this is what's going on in my church, this is what's going on in the world, don't you see this? We feel the need to inform God. Or maybe it's even criticizing God. If you read the Psalms, you'll see that David wasn't above criticizing God. But if you read the Psalms, one of the things you'll notice is almost every single one of them finishes in worship. He might start criticizing. He might start complaining. He might start questioning God and wondering, why, is thing, why are things the way that they are? Why do you do this to me, God? And he finishes in a posture of worship. Because he vents, he gets that stuff out. He doesn't try to hide the fact that he's angry at God or that he's confused or that he doesn't understand God's perspective, but he always finishes in worship saying, but you know what, Lord? I know that you're good. Like, I know that. I just don't understand my current circumstances. He, he's a very honest and raw person with God, and I think that's a very healthy prayer life. But how often is prayer worship for us? Most of us would acknowledge singing music, that's worship. We would say like, well, the worship portion of the service, and we refer to the music as the worship portion, but that's not what worship is. That's not the entirety or the totality of what worship is. Now here's one I have for us, a question. This came up to me, and I was like, I, mean, I spent a lot of time mulling this over because I think this, this is going to hit home for a lot of us. How often is prayer just being anxious while God listens? How often is prayer us venting our anxiety and letting God listen in on our anxiety? Because that's not what prayer is just meant to be. Now, it's certainly okay 
He can handle it. He can handle your anxiety. But if all we do is be anxious in His presence, that's not prayer. We must make it worship. Or is it us informing God of all the problems that we have? Like, oh, hey, God, here's me. Don't forget, I did these good things, and so here's my problems. If you can go ahead and fix those, as if this is like a transactional relationship. I did some good things for you. I held that door open. I, you know, I, gave, I threw a couple bucks in the plate at church, so now you have to do good things for me. It's not the way it works. When Jesus gives us a model of prayer, it starts in a place of worship. Now, I, I was thinking about this and decided we're going to do something a little different this year, uh, and maybe we'll do this in continuing years, but I want to expose you to different versions of the Bible. And so this year... We're going to preach through one that some of you, most of you probably have never even heard of called the HCSB, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Um, so that's what our verses will all be in this year. If you want to follow along in your own copy of God's Word, just look up the HCSB. That's what we're going to be speaking from. It's, it's one of my favorites. I really like this version. Uh, but we're going to look into Jesus' model of prayer. At the very beginning of it, he says in Matthew 6, 9, Therefore, you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven. Your name be honored as holy. What if all of our times in prayer started in worship? What if we, when we went to God in prayer, we spent the first portion, or we just, we just decided that what I'm going to do is worship Him first, and then I'll get along to the other things I have on my agenda. But I'm going to worship Him until I feel like I've, I've come to the end of that, or, or, or I'm going to worship him until it feels comfortable to transition into the next place. What if the entire prayer time became worship itself? What if we learned how to worship God in and through prayer? What if we stopped compartmentalizing it and saying, well, I'm going to worship first and then I'm going to do it. What if we said, I'm going to worship God, and while I do that, I'm going to be in prayer. That's going to be my prayer there was anyone's model of prayer that we should follow, I'm going to go ahead and recommend Jesus as a strong candidate uh, of a good model of prayer. The disciples recognized the power that Jesus had in his prayer life, and it's why they asked him, hey, will you teach us to pray? They acknowledged there's something significant about Jesus' prayer life. Now, most of the disciples would have been taught how to pray. Uh, arguably, all of them were taught how to pray. Based on their upbringing, their culture, Judaism, they would know how to pray. They would know the words to say. They would know the, the script. They would know the practice of it. But there was something different about the way Jesus prayed. And for me, it was pretty clear. I've been to other churches uh, or, yeah, other churches where prayer was basically a script. It was read from it was uh, very procedural. And I just thought, man, where's the life in this? Where's the relationship in that? If like every time I wanted to bless my wife and tell her how much I loved her, I pulled out a piece of paper and I said, I love you because you are my wife. Because I am married to you, I love you. My guess is that's not going to hit very hard in her heart. That's not going to really drive the point home very well. Uh, and in our relationship with God, uh, I don't think that we should just be reading. Now, Certainly, it's not wrong to read. Uh, there are times where I might present something to Jackie or, you know, maybe I wrote her something and I want to read it because I can't remember it. That's, 
that's okay. And it still means and significant. It means something. But if that's all we ever do, I think we lose out on that relational side of things. So the disciples, they, they look at Jesus, they watch Jesus. Now these guys walked with Jesus for years and they see the way that he does ministry. Many times before a significant event, Jesus would go away to pray. And then he would do these incredible things and then he would go away to pray. And so I, they, they ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. They want to they wanna pray in a way that produces the results that Jesus produced. They want to pray in a way that connected them to God the way that Jesus' prayers connected him to God. Look with me, if you can, in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. It says, He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us, and do not bring us into temptation. Notice the beginning posture of Jesus' model of prayer. It starts by acknowledging God as our Father. This is strange. If you've not watched The Chosen, highly recommend it, but it gives you a good picture of just how methodical, how stale, religion was in Jesus' time, how it was not a relational thing at all. And so I, I believe, I think everything Jesus did was very purposeful and meaningful. And so the fact that instead of first saying, God of all creation, almighty, powerful, majestic God, he says, our Father. And he uses a term in Greek that is not just like, oh, hey, Father, it's like best translated as like daddy. Like it, it was, it's a very close and intimate reference to a father. This would be strange for the Jewish people. This would have definitely raised some eyebrows, even in the disciples. Like, whoa, hold on. That seems irreverent to just call God that intimate term that we call our Father. Most, most of the men that Jesus was talking to, most of the disciples would have stopped calling their own fathers that name many, many years prior because it was, it, it was almost childish. It was, almost, it was too intimate for an adult to an adult. And so that would have definitely been a strange idea for them to approach God in such a relational way. How often do we approach God in that way that we say hey dad I, I, here's, here's where I am and we come to him not out of obligation we come to him not because we feel like we have to we don't come to him feeling like well I'm, you know, I'm a terrible person but I just have a couple of requests I have for you God but we come to him as children go to a father I think I mean you saw my kids they, they're climbers multiple times this service already they've climbed on me while I'm trying to talk and speak and I love that and I'm never going to stop it so if it bothers you tough uh, but I love that because they don't care what's going on they don't care that I'm trying to run a service and, and I'm trying to talk and, and all of these they, they, just, they just want dad and, and they know that they have access to me I've never said like no I'm doing something important I, can't, I don't have time for you child it's like no no there's nothing more important to me than my kids like I, there, there are not an accurate term. 
but they know they have significance in my life and that I will bring them in and that I will hold them and I will love them and that that's a high priority for me. Man, how much more God. He's never too busy for us. He never looks at us based on our last mistake, even though that's how we generally look at ourselves. And we, try, we put a filter on God's eyes and we say, well, God, I know that my last sin was this and that's probably how you look at me, God. But Jesus says, no, come to him as a father. It starts with relationship. That's the first place we should begin in our prayer life with God. It's coming in like a child, like a little kid to their father. Like their arms just raised up saying, pick me up, Dad. Here I am. When we worship, do we start with acknowledging our relationship to our Father in heaven. A few things to note about Jesus' prayer life. It was common for Jesus to disappear to pray, especially when he was busy. Now, you would think the opposite. No, Jesus had to be present. He had to be with his disciples. There were so many things he had to do. There were so many logistics he had to run through. One of the things I like about The Chosen when I watch The Chosen is how, how many of the disciples get so caught up in all the details and, and the logistics and, and you know, security and all of these other things. And Jesus is like, man, we're just going to do some ministry. God's going to show up. It's not that he doesn't care about that stuff. He entrusts certain things to certain disciples at different times and he, he puts things in their hands, he delegates, but Jesus is far more interested in people's hearts than he is with being present and, and being a control freak and having to have his hands on everything. Jesus also set aside specific uninterrupted time to pray. Jesus didn't just say, well, okay, let, let's pray on our way from this town to this town. We'll just pray as we walk. And that's going to be the majority of our prayer life. No, Jesus says, I need to be away from even, even my closest disciples. I need to get away. I need to go to a quiet place. I love that Jesus, you know, generally, as far as we know, almost always prays outside. It's always like a quiet place in a garden or a mountainside or that's where Jesus connects with God because that's where I connect best with God too. But he always gets away. He makes time. He doesn't say, well, I just don't have time for that. He makes the time. He carves out. He gives up the opportunity. Jesus could have healed more people. Do you get that? Do you understand that? He could have healed more people's ailments if he didn't pray and just spend his time doing that stuff. But it was more important to him to connect with the Father than it was to do ministry, to do. So often we get caught up in, we got to do, we got to do, we got to do. We need to spend time with God. And thirdly, Jesus gave us a model of how to pray. So it does matter how we pray. I know some people give the advice that it doesn't matter what you say when you pray, just talk to God. It doesn't matter what you say. And I get that. That actually is, it's, in a sense, it's good advice. Especially when you're first starting out in your relationship with God. It's like, yeah, man, just, just get, it, get comfortable talking to that person. Just, just say anything. Uh, and I think of it very much so. It is in a relationship between a guy and a girl. Like when you were interested in somebody, it was a success sometimes just to say hi. Especially when you're like junior high. Like that's the best. You got a high out without like your voice squeaking or something. And you're like, you were good. That was a good, that was a good interaction. 
And so, yes, that can be good. But if that's, just, that's not the way your prayer life should go the rest of your life, where you just blurt out anything you want to blurt out. Jesus very clearly laid out a model for us to pray. And my experience in my own life and in the church life is that most people don't follow Jesus' model on how to pray. We will at times, all right, let's all recite the Lord's Prayer together and we recite His model, but we don't actually use the model to pray. When's the last time you sat down, you opened your Bible to Jesus' model of prayer and you said, okay, our Father. And then we spent some time praying about, thinking about, reflecting on our relationship to God as our Father. And, and we spent some time there. And then we went on to the next, uh, uh, who is in heaven. Okay, yeah, you're in heaven. Like, what is heaven like? And we, and we spent some time there. And if you follow Jesus' model of prayer, uh, Fred Hartley does an amazing teaching on it. Uh, he calls them the different rooms of prayer. It, it has been, for me, very transformational in my own prayer life. But when you follow that model of prayer, I promise you, you will fall in love with prayer because it becomes worship. And you spend time in that. And by the time you get to that place where you're like, oh, hey, by the way, I've got some stuff I wanted you to take care of. You're like, ah, forget that. I just spent the last half hour worshiping you. And I realized that my problems are, they're small beans compared to what you've already done in my life and who you are and all the things I've already worshiped about you. And it's this beautiful model of prayer. And we should follow it. If you've been a Christian for a while and you still don't use Jesus' model of prayer, use Jesus' model of prayer. It's right there. It's very easy to use, to utilize, to just walk through. Not just repeat it, but use it as a model. Look at what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew when he was teaching them how to pray. He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Don't pray so that others will be impressed, Jesus is saying in verse 5. Jesus isn't going to be impressed with how good you can pray. You, may, you might have really good vocabulary and you can say really fancy words uh, and, and, and always it bothers me sometimes. And to be honest with you, it bothers me when we pray out loud and some, you can tell someone's just trying to like impress everybody with like their fancy theological words and stuff like that. It's like, man, you don't talk like that. Like what happened to you all of a sudden? Like you all of a sudden you started praying and you reverted back like 800 years and you started talking like you were, you know, from 800 years ago, using thousands of you know, arts and all these, like, what, what in the world? What happened? That's not who we are. Pray like who you are. God's not impressed with our words. Neither is anybody else around us. They might be. I've heard people say, like, oh, I can't pray like him. Yes, you can. You can pray because it doesn't matter what he's saying. It doesn't matter the words that that person saying. It doesn't matter how eloquent she is. It doesn't, God's not impressed by that. That just might be who she is. She just might be, he might just be a very eloquent speaker. And that's perfectly fine if they pray that way. Or they might trip over all their words. And they may, might say, uh, a thousand times. And, and they might say, Father God, Father God, Father God, a thousand times too. It's okay. 
doesn't, it's not important. The words that we use, and, and we're not going to be, you know, God's not going to give us blessings because we repeat the same words over and over and over again, which is interesting for me because there are some, I don't, I don't think it's called a denomination, I'll call it just its own religion that says, well, you just got to say this many uh, Our Fathers and this many Hail Marys and God's going to bless you. What? I don't know what Bible you're reading from. Mine says that's the exact opposite of what's going to happen. You shouldn't just repeat words. It's not going to do you any good. In verse 6, Jesus is saying our private prayer lives should be the most significant aspect of our prayer life. If the best prayers that we ever pray are the ones in front of other people, then that's who we're praying to. We're not praying to God. We're praying to the other people. We might use His name, but if that's our best prayer time we have, then that's who it's for. Our most significant aspect of prayer should be when we're alone with Him. When we can, I mean, Jackie and I, we have a good time. Like, we like to go on double dates. We like, you know, we even go on vacation with other people. That's fun. But it's different when it's just the two of us. When it's just her and I getting to spend time together. Even if it's just sitting and watching a movie. Like, there's just something special about that for us. Especially once we put the kids to bed and the chaos is quieted. It's a beautiful time. In verse 7, he says, it's not about how many words you use. So don't be afraid to pray in front of other people. Don't be uh, intimidated by, like, you know, Mr. Prayer Man, who's, you know, using all the fancy theology. Don't worry about that. When you pray, if if you're asked to pray in front of people or you are praying, just pray. Don't, Don't worry about what they think about you. Don't worry about if you sound weird or you sound silly or whatever else. Just pray. And then in verse 8, he's saying, don't think that prayer is about informing God. He already knows what you need. He's well aware. He knows what you need more than you do. Which is why he says no sometimes. Because he knows better than you do what you need. So what can we take away from what we talked about? About prayer as worship. Well, prayer should be, in its entirety, an act of worship. Too often it's a rushed conversation. It's a rush information session to God as we're driving or as we're doing something else, it's like, oh, hey, God, da, 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 this is all the stuff I got going on. This is, okay, amen. I'm at, my, I'm at my workplace. And again, that's not wrong to pray in that way. But if that's the only place we ever meet him, when we're distracted, when we've got other things on our mind, that's not full worship. Now, I love, like, there's, one, there's a good reason why if you see me in the gym, I'm not listening to worship music. Because I forget where I am sometimes. And I will start to sing. And if you've ever heard me sing, you don't want to. And I have literally caught myself in the middle of the gym singing about as loud as I can and wondering why everybody's looking at me. And I love to do the same thing in the car. So it's not wrong to worship while you do other things. So you can worship and pray while you do other things. But as Jesus said, the most significant time of prayer for us should be like it was for him where he set aside time, he got alone, and it was uninterrupted time of prayer. That's where Jesus fell in love with prayer. That's where the disciples saw that there was something different about the way that he prayed because it changed things, and it will do the same for us. We should follow Jesus' model of prayer when we pray and truly worship him in our prayer life. Worship team, you can make your way back up. I would encourage you, learn to make prayer a discipline. 
not a happenstance, not a result of stress or a result of increased anxiety, but prayer should be a discipline for us, something that we regularly make the time to make happen. It should be an uninterrupted time that we can just spend. I know uh, Jack and I have talked, one of, one of both of our pet peeves is like when we're trying to hang out with each other, we're trying to spend time together, and one of us is on our phones. And so we've like made a rule, like this is not going to happen. At the dinner table, no phones. When we're hanging out, when we're spending time face-to-face, don't be on our phones because we want uninterrupted time. Now, I can multitask. I can listen very well while I sit on my phone. That doesn't matter. That's not what it's about. That argument is invalid because she wants to know that I'm invested, that I'm making eye contact, that we're talking, and it's the same with God. He wants our uninterrupted time. So let's fall in love with prayer together, church. Let's make this a journey we all go on. It's, it's, it's not surprising to me that if I were to ask for, I'm not asking for a raise of hands, but if I was asking you to raise your hands if you feel like you could pray more in, in your life. If we're being honest, just about every single one of us is going to put our hands up. Wouldn't it be awesome if someone asked you that question and you're like, no, actually I'm pretty good. Like I, I pray in ways that change my life every day. And we don't feel guilty. We don't feel shameful for our prayer life. But instead we feel encouraged like, man, I don't feel the need or the obligation to pray more. I feel like I'm in a good place with that. Like it's okay for me to say to my wife, like, hey, I feel like we're in a good place. Like we're spending a lot of time together. We're, like I don't feel like we need more. Now we always appreciate more. But there's a difference between needing more time together and wanting more time together like yeah you should always want to pray more but to get to a place where you don't feel like you need to be in prayer more often because you are often in prayer that's a good place to be so i hope that you'll come back in the sunday evenings again not tonight but starting next sunday 5 p.m we're going to start having our prayer meetings then and we hope that you'll join us for that uh can't tell you exactly what it's going to look like because it's going to change just about every week so uh, if you want to experience different forms of prayer, different ideas of prayer, different ways of praying and worshiping uh, together and mixing it all in, then join us 5 p.m. coming Sundays. Worship team is going to play a song. Kids are going to be making their way back up here to sing their songs, and we're going to have a baptism. So uh, totally understand if some of you have to make your way out if things are going on in your life. Uh, we're going to be here a little while longer, but uh, I, I love baptism services, and so I'm pretty excited myself, and we hope that you'll stick around and join us for that if you can though we totally understand if you can't. Let me pray, and then the worship team's going to play. Lord, I pray over these next 40 days that prayer doesn't become this burden on us that we often think about when it's talked about. We constantly feel guilty. We feel shameful that it's not a greater, more significant part of our life. Lord, I pray prayer would be this beautiful thing that we look forward to, that we look forward to being able to get alone with you and, and get that uninterrupted time that it becomes a discipline that we long for and we, we look forward to the moment that we can get alone and spend time with you. But I pray that as we journey through these 40 days, prayer would truly become an act of worship for us. It would become this beautiful time of worship. and We would learn to mix in and make prayer worship, especially as we follow your model of prayer, that we would be so invested in worship 
that prayer would completely change for us and we would finish these 40 days with a totally different view and perspective on what prayer is. Lord, I pray over the next portion of our service, over a baptism, Lord, we pray for your presence in this place and that you would uh, encourage each and every one of us as we uh, see other people acknowledge a commitment to you and make that commitment through baptism that it would mean something to us and it would affect us in a powerful way as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.